just a special greeting to those watching online. Maybe you're checking on our church online. We're glad you are, but we just want you to know that we'd love for you to be where? Here, because the action is here. But I mean, I understand what a great way to check church out. Just look at the video and you can fast forward, delete, whatever. But we want you here because we want to love you. We want to love each other, and we can't do it when you're just a number on the bottom, on the corner of my screen. I want to see you, and we got loving people here that have lots of love, and that's what New Life's all about. So don't, you know, just watch, but then come and, and let us get to know you and love on you. And notice we're kind of full people, okay? You know what that means? Unfortunately, that means we have to be prepared for growth. Growth means that some of you, God is going to put tweak on your heart to say, yes, I'm going to become a 9 a.m. person. And I'm going to show up early. And I know some of you are like, oh, I really want to, like to be together. We meet together in between the services. So we're all together. But the reality is not one person here is going to talk to everyone in this room this morning. You all know that. Some of you will only talk to two or three people in this room this morning. And some of you might get 20 or 30, but you're not going to get everyone. And we also realize that there is a huge group of people in our community that need the hope that Jesus provides. And right now, if all of us were to bring one friend, where would they sit? there would be no room for them. So be prepared. Yeah, there's uh, two seats here and two seats there, so I understand. Uh, unless you're prepared to go, go a little cross-culturally and like, okay, Canadians squish together, two per seat, you know. It's not happening, right? So let's be aware. We, God wants us to grow personally, and that's always uncomfortable. He also wants our church to grow, and that's going to be uncomfortable. So I'm asking you to ask the Lord, Lord, what would my role be in this growth? How can I help our church minister to our community? And you, God might say, yes, you need to be at 9 a.m. Bring your family so we can have an even number of kids in the first, an even number of kids in the second, and room for people to come and hear the good news. That's what we're all about here. So the heart of prayer. New life is about moving up and out and new life in Jesus Christ. And, and a part of the, the component of, of moving up is, is prayer, talking to God. And you may have some ideas of prayer in your mind. All of you probably have prayed at least once. You know, God help me, or, you know, I'm in trouble, you know, or maybe you add explicatives to your prayer. But some of you have prayed. You're driving, you're in a situation, you're, you're like, ah, you know, and, and all of us have done that. But I'm inviting you to go further with it, to discover something even better than that type of prayer. And in Luke 18, Jesus tells a little story about prayer to help us to kind of orient us to what prayer is all about. In the first eight verses, he tells a story about this persistent widow that doesn't give up asking this judge for justice. And finally, the judge relents and gives her justice. And, and basically, Jesus is like, God, the Father is so much more gracious than that, than that stubborn judge. And so don't stop praying. Be persistent in prayer. And then here in this particular story, he takes on a different angle of prayer. If you grew up in a church or a religious tradition, maybe you were exposed to prayer. And maybe prayer had a bit of a, a posturing to it or a bit of religious duty to it. I went to a Bible college in the 90s that was sort of a, a kind of a fundamental group. And it was a great place. But like there was this idea of the prayer meeting where you, you, know, you religiously observed this weekly tradition where you went and you went through this long list of prayers. And it was painful many times. It didn't draw me closer to God. It was like, I have to do this. I'm forced to do this. I'll get in trouble if I don't do this. And that isn't the heart of prayer. I've been afraid, actually, to do corporate prayer here because I don't want to turn us into that kind of thing. And yet I really believe in it. I don't know how to make us 
discover and, and, and figure out how to do corporate prayer together. But I'm afraid because I don't want us to turn into what this story reveals often happens when religious people get together and pray. Anyway, let's look at the story. Verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who were confident that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Okay, so he's letting out the, the cat out of the bag right at the beginning of this story. There are those people that think that they are God's gift to the world, <laughs> and they're better than everyone else. In the vernacular of a past generation, we call this holier-than-thou people, right? Um, you know, they're the people that don't have to turn on the fan in the bathroom, right? Because, you know, they're, they're so good, and they don't need it, right? You know what I'm saying, Right? <laughs> But we all know, yeah, you do. We, I went in after you, you do, you know. But here's, here's the reality, right? They think they have something they don't have. And the problem with good people is they don't realize that they're not quite good enough. Because they are better than other people. But Jesus is like, let me tell you a story to show that, that, this re- that, that I'm not really comparing you on how many marks you got, whether you made the honor roll, whether you, you, know, you cut your neighbor's grass and you helped the old lady across the street. I'm not keeping track of that stuff when it comes to your status with me. And he'll begin and he'll tell this story in verse 10. He introduces the characters in the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee the other a tax collector. Now, understand, if you've read the Bible, you might have a a predisposition towards Pharisees that's, that's negative. But in this story, the Pharisee is the good guy. The tax collector is the bad guy. Let's just be really clear about that. If you were to choose, if you could choose who bought the house next to you, you would definitely want the Pharisee next to you, right? Because he's clean living, he's, he's faithful to his wife, he, he gets up early, he takes his garbage out, his cat doesn't go into your garden. I mean, he's just a good guy. If you walked onto a bus and you saw these two guys sitting and there was an empty seat next to both of them, you would be sitting next to the Pharisee, I'm telling you. If one of these guys wanted to date your daughter, you'd be like, no and yes, because the Pharisee's a good guy. In fact, if the Pharisee was here, some of you would probably be nominating him for the board because he's a good guy. He's clean living. He does the right things. He's a nice guy. He's, you know. But the truth is, there's something about these guys. The tax collector was, you know, the pariah of society. I was doing some research about, you know, the most trusted and least trusted people in the world, Right? And so Gallup and Statista, and they've done different surveys. You know, what occupations are the most trusted, you know? And, and of course, uh, clergy is not at the top. We're like in the middle, you know, like, you know, like a, but like medical personnel, paramedics actually, and the most recent one got the number one. They're most trusted, right? And then it goes down from there. And on the one, uh, the Gallup poll, we had, you know, clergy was sitting at 36%, just above auto mechanics, <laughs> And uh, below that, you'd go down 19% lawyers, uh, TV reporters, 14%. Uh, and then, of course, at the bottom, it's politicians, uh, car salesmen. <laughs> and on one survey, it said, uh, owners of social media platforms, <laughs> lowest trusted, right? So the tax collector would be down there. He's a shyster. He's shifty. He's creepy. Uh, you, you put your hand on your wallet when you walk by that guy. You know, he's that kind of guy. 
So understand, this is what you need to be thinking. This is what the first century audience is, is realizing. Okay, well, there's a really nice guy here. There's a good guy. There's a clean living guy. And there's a, a creep. There's a mafia guy. There's a criminal element in this story. So here are these two guys. And they are both ending up in the same place. They're going to pray. And you're like, well, that's weird. Because, I mean, the listener would be like, why is a tax collector going to pray? Like, what, what is he? I mean, the Pharisee belongs there because he's a devout religious guy. But why is that tax? I mean, you, you, you'd be like wondering, why is he going to pray? That's really odd. Because the tax collector usually was only just about getting that next dollar, that next profit. And, and, of course, he could take collect taxes, and he had these soldiers behind him. If you refused to pay, he could just, you know, flex the, the Roman muscle, and these guys would shake it out of you, you know. And so, so people just hated these guys. The Pharisees were the good, clean-living community guys. Uh, the people you elected to your school board and, you know, and, and just, you know, they were just good people. So this is the story. Understand, whatever predisposition you had before, just flush that and this is the reality. We got a good guy and we got a bad guy. We would all choose the good guy if we had a choice. And they both show up to pray. Here's the prayer of the, the Pharisee in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself, could be translated to himself, like this, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, extortionists, unrighteous people, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. Let's go back to the verse 11 if we could. Um, I thank you, God. So this is the first point where he seems to focus on God. And then everything else is about him and the people in the room with him. I'm thankful that I'm not like him or those other horrible, evil, wicked people that populate this earth. You are blessed, O oh Lord, to have me as part of your kingdom because I get it and they don't. I mean, that, literally, that's what he's saying. You, you probably have known someone who felt like they were God's gift to this world, right? And, and you know, they're, they're real fun to be around, aren't they? You know, here's this guy, boy, you know, and he's praying not to God. He's talking to everyone else around them. Obviously loud enough that they can hear, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. Now, I've been in prayer meetings where people are praying to the people in the room and not to God. Little sermonettes aimed at brother so-and-so or sister such-and-such. And it's horrible. It's awful. Those prayers just kind of bounce right back at you. Boom, boom. You know, they're not going to heaven because it's just, you're not even talking to him. You're just talking to the people around you. And, and here's the reality. He's in this moment. He's in this spiritual moment. And what he's saying is, is, is somewhat true. I mean, he's not like those people. He's not like the tax collector. And in verse 12, he does the you know, right things, right? He's, he's tithing. He's, he's, you know, he's giving, he's fasting twice a week. I mean, he is a rel religious, devoted person. Good guy. But there's this selfishness in this prayer. You notice how many times he says I in that prayer. I have this quote here. Self-absorption is the climate of contemporary society. 1979. Before cell phones, or they did have maybe the huge like ones that were like a box, you know, that you, you gotta, you know, you know, you know, you got a backpack to wear, you know. And this is before cell phones, before you know, TikTok. Before Snapchat, self-absorption is the climate of contemporary society. We haven't gotten better at this. 
But even here, 2,000 years ago, it still was there. We, we have this natural inclination to look at ourselves and then to compare ourselves to others. And the truth of the matter is, there is always someone worse than you. And if you want to feel better by putting other people down, you can always do it. And some, and some people do. Many people get a great kick off of that. It's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm in better shape than he is. And, you know, and, 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 and you, know, I've, you know, I've got less gray hair than she does. And, you know, we go on and on and on. We compare, right? Boy, I've kept my dress size the same, but she sure didn't. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and we compare and we compare. Boy, my kids aren't falling off the deep end like theirs are. We're such good people. How come they're in all that debt? They obviously don't, you know, they're not as good as we are at, you know, managing the Lord's money. I mean, and we compare, we compare. Why do they live there? They, you know, I, we live in a much nicer neighborhood and we compare, we compare. Self-absorption is the climate of contemporary society. So we have this guy, he's praying, he's thanking God that he's such a good guy. And then... In contrast, we have this other man in verse 13, the tax collector, however, stood far off and would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, sinner that I am. I mean, you could hardly get a, a greater contrast here I he's not even looking up he's beating his breast which is a sign of contrition a sign of sorrow he realizes in this moment that he doesn't deserve to be there and he just pleads with God for mercy in this moment I don't deserve this I am he's at the bottom and he's just like, he's, he doesn't even hear the other guy yabbering on there. He's just, he's talking to God. I don't care what else is going on. God, you see me. And at this moment, the only thing I can ask for is mercy. He's not making excuses. Do you notice that? You know, God, I, I grew up in that real hard home. My dad was a real, you know, disciplinarian. And the kids bullied me at school. And so I'm doing these things because of my, my environment, which made me into a bad person. No, no, I'm a sinner. Like at some point, you got to just own it, people. You got to just say, yeah, this is the reality of who I am. Do, do you see why Jesus is the prince of peace and brings peace into the world? Because he is the one that heals hearts that enables us to live peacefully. Everything else is just external attempts to, to, to facilitate peace, but nothing lasts when you do that, right? But when Jesus comes into your heart, transforms you, and changes you, then you become an agent of peace that you can't do if you're just doing the, the surface stuff. The evil lies within, not just on the outside. And all of us possess this horrible possibility of doing bad things to other people, all of us. But only by the grace of God, when we come to him and find his mercy, then we're transformed and then we, we develop a capacity to actually love and do the right thing and to live peacefully and to bring peace into our world because of Jesus. But there is a, a picture here, this idea of mercy. It's this word which is used to describe the mercy seat. This was in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, and once a year, the high priest would come in, and he had this blood that was sacrificed, and he, he would offer it on the top of the mercy seat inside the Ark of the Ten Commandments. 
And symbolically, as the nation of Israel has broken those commandments, so once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest came and he sprinkled the blood and he prayed for forgiveness for the whole nation. Now understand, like, he was scared on that day. In fact, he had a, a ritual of preparation. He, he avoided people. He had a special place. He set everything up, and then he changed his clothes, and then he changed his clothes again. He didn't want to come into contact with people. Why? Because when you come into contact with people, guess what happens? You sin. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to sin. I want to come in pure. And he would offer that, that blood sacrifice, on, and people outside are praying and repenting at the same time as this is going on. And so this is the word. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, Lord, would you provide the atonement that I need to get right with you right now? Of course, Luke's gospel would say Christ is the atonement for your sins. He died on the cross. He paid the price. He is the mercy seat for us. He is the point of mercy where we find God's forgiveness. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, there's a principle here, a prayer principle. Sin is a barrier to effective prayer and communication with God. If you think you know, you can just kind of pray to God anytime, and it doesn't matter. I mean, God is a loving Father. He cares. But, like, if you want to have effective prayer, you have to deal with sin first. In Psalm 68, verse 18, if I'd harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Like, this is it's okay. So, so if there's sin in my heart, God's not listening. In Isaiah, uh, Psalm, Proverbs 28, verse 9, sorry. The one who turns his ear from hearing your, the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Okay, so if you think you can live however you want to live and then show up in church and, and act righteous and, and pray, God's like, I don't want to hear it. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, the prophet says to the nation of Israel, but your sinful acts have alienated you from God. Your sins have caused them to reject you and not listen to your prayers. I mean, throughout the prophets, they're saying, People turn back to God and then seek his face. But if you're not going to turn back to him, but you're just going to ask him to, to help you out of your situation, it's not working because he's not listening. Because you have a barrier between you and God. Now understand, um, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the barrier is removed. You are become his child. You are declared righteous because of the standing of Jesus Christ on your behalf. But your sin can put a barrier between your relationship with him. Kind of like when you get in a fight with your spouse or your best friend and they're not talking, you're not texting, and, and you've got to deal with this barrier because we're not communicating, and that, that's what happened. You still have the relationship, but you just don't have communication. That's, that's the reality. But if you don't have a relationship with God, there is this permanent barrier there. That he says, until you deal with that root condition of your heart, you are not in relationship with God. You need to confess and believe in Jesus Christ. And then that, that wall's taken down and now you have fellowship. But yes, you can put up a barrier there if you sin. He doesn't listen if we sin. In John 9, 31, the blind man says this to the Pharisees in, in this story. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is devout and does his will, God listens. And then in 1 Peter 3, I just threw this in there just for fun. Verse uh, Seven husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as the weaker partners, and show them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. Do you see that? Guys, if you're a jerk to your wife, God ain't listening to you anymore. The verse could say, live with your wife in an understanding way, in the NIV. 
Treat your wives with consideration. God says, I look at the way you treat your wives, and if you want to come talk to me, ask me for things, but you're treating your wife, you know, in in a disrespectful, dishonoring, you're not valuing her, forget it, I don't want to hear you. God doesn't listen to jerks. Okay, you get that? You can write that on down, put it on your fridge, you know. You may make it into a t-shirt, wear it around the house, you know, whatever, you know. So, but understand, like, our, our life can affect, what we do with our life can affect how we talk to God. Sin is a barrier to that. It's a barrier to fellowship. It's a barrier to relationship. But thankfully, God listens to the prayer of the sincere heart. We see this in the final verse, verse 14. Oh, sorry, I got one more picture. I got a picture here. Sorry. Yeah, there's the picture, right? Do you identify with either of these guys? Maybe you think, well, I'm a good person. I'm a lot better than than a lot of people. I've never dealt drugs. I've never pimped anyone. I've never stole a car. Come on, God. Come on. I've been faithful in my marriage. Come on, God. You know, I, I send my kids to Sunday school. I give to the church. Come on, God. Or can you relate to the other guy? Have mercy on me. Sinner as I am. And actually, in the Greek text, it's the sinner that I am. You know, and I know, and I'm acknowledging it. Yeah, I am a complete mess up, and I, I'm just begging for your mercy. Which one do you relate to? There's a lot of good people in our city, and they're good people. But the truth of the matter is, all of us need to find our way to the back of this picture. We need to identify with the tax collector. Because that is the place where you find mercy. See in verse 14? I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. And you're surprised. You're like, really? I mean, this is the clean, living, good, nice, upright, faithful, religious, devout, and dutiful, and and he is not, but this this creep over here finds mercy, finds grace. How is that possible? Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's how the kingdom works. You have to hit the bottom before you can climb up. You got to get to the bottom, and that is a an accurate assessment of yourself. I like the way Barclay says it in this quote. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. No man who is proud can pray. The gate of heaven is so low that none can enter it, save upon his knees. (laughs) Love it. You want to move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. I hope you do. But the starting point is right at that lowest place. God, I'm a sinner in need of your mercy. And Jesus reaches down and says, okay, let's go. And he grabs your hand and he starts to carry you and move you with him up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. We celebrate this every time we do a baptism. And I just love the stories that are in our church of how how people encountered Jesus and found that he was merciful in that moment and continues to extend grace to them as they grow and they move forward with him. But if you don't get to the bottom, you're not moving up at all. You kind of stay in the middle. 
the problem is if we compare ourselves to others, we, we, we think we are doing okay because there's always someone worse than we are. Uh, Barclay tells in his commentary about, you know, he was, he was riding a train in the UK and he saw this whitewashed house and it was like so bright and, and so pure looking. He's like, wow, what a beautiful house, so bright and clean and pure and compared to the dirt around and the grass. And, you know, and, and then on the way back, it snowed. And suddenly, in, in the contrast to the creator's pure white, this white house looked kind of gray, kind of dirty, kind of grungy. And the truth is, when God shines the light of his holiness on all of our lives, he sees spots that no one else sees. None of us stands pure and righteous in his sight. Not one of us. All the good things we have done don't earn us a righteous standing, standing with him. What earns us a righteous standing with him is when we get on our knees, symbolically, of course, and confess and humble ourselves and say, yes, I am a sinner. And I plead on the basis of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection that you would forgive me and restore me to life. And then the Father says, okay, all that stuff that you've done is taken care of. But it's not taken care of because I'm, I'm counting a one, you know, one sin for one good work, one sin for one good work. It's taken care of because he paid for it. Jesus Christ, the Savior. And you trust in what he has done for you. You believe in him. And you move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. So I'm just saying to you this morning, some of you need to do some hard work. Some of you have moved into the Pharisee at times, and like, like I have, and, and, and thought yourself better. And in my culture, there was a period of time when, when because we loved the Word of God, we felt like we were better because we knew it better than everyone else. But on my terms of my standing with Jesus, that meant nothing. In fact, it, that pride was, was actually a barrier to God, and I need to confess that and, and get right with Him. And there's always these things that can come in and, and, and cause our, our, our relationship with God to, to get stunted. And, and prayer is where we come, and we start at the bottom, and we move up. We confess our sins. I encourage you in your prayer book, don't write down your sins, but write down the verses about sin and about God's forgiveness. Why not write down your sins? Because the moment you confess them, God forgets about it. So you don't need to remember it. But you do have friends in your life, you have family members, and the enemy will remind you of your past sins. He'll try to drag you down. He'll try to say, yeah, remember what you did? Remember how you used to live? You run into those old buddies, oh, I remember those times, and you're like, yeah, I remember them, and I'm not proud of them, in fact. I've moved past that. It's not my life anymore. At 16, I did that, but now I'm 30, I'm not doing that anymore. Why? Because I've discovered Jesus. So then you open your book, and you see that verse. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you every sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. And you read those verses, and you say, yes, the enemy says this about me, but God says this about me. And you remind yourself, you remind yourself. And you get back into that fellowship, and you keep moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. So here's the final kind of thought here. The heart of prayer recognizes God's holiness, acknowledges our unworthiness, and in humility finds grace, mercy, and can move up and out in new life found in Jesus Christ. When I stand compared to God, I'm a pretty dim bulb. My glory is so tiny compared to his. And I'm so unworthy compared to him. But in his mercy, the mercy seat, the atonement provided on the cross, the payment that was paid, God reaches down and helps me up and carries me forward and carries us together forward. 
but you can't move up until you've hit the bottom. I hope you've had that bottom experience. Parents, this is really hard for your kids because your kids grow up in a moral environment and they learn Christian culture and they follow Christian mores and norms, but they still need to have the bottom moment where they recognize, yes, I am a sinner, but Christ provided my salvation. I believe in him. He died for me. He rose again. I'm walking forward in newness of life. And, and that's a challenge because when they grow up in a Christian home, they do the right things. They pray at meals. They do no, no, no. But then they, they don't realize their heart needs to be transformed. So that's a challenge for you, parents, to teach your kids to, to, to discover the gospel and move forward with it. And then we pray earnestly for our city, especially for the good people. Because they're like the Pharisees sitting there thinking, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And God says, you're not okay. But if you would just get down where that guy is, then you'll be okay. And we need to pray that people have that moment of discovering the mercy and grace of God. Because I believe that's what our world needs now more than ever. So I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in this song. Um, it's not about other people. It's about you. Okay? Now don't think about others and about, oh, I'm a better person than that. It, that is not the point. The point is, where do you stand with the Almighty today? Are you prepared to meet him? Have you discovered his grace and mercy? If you think you're bringing something good to God's table, um, you know, you're bringing some kind of leftover, you know, fast food that was sitting in the back of your car for three days. That's what you're bringing to his table. God doesn't need your, your, your box of, you know, moldy Chinese. He's coming to, he's giving you something better than that. But when we pray and bring our good works to him, it's like, you know, bringing the, you know, the filthy clothes from the shop that we're, you know, we clean the, you know, change the transmission in and all that stuff. And that God doesn't need that. He, he comes and he says, I'm, I'm willing to give you all the grace and mercy you need. You don't need to bring any of your own stuff. Just, just confess it and find in me a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Get right with God through Jesus. So I invite you to that. And then we can pray. Then we can talk to God then we can really discover this relationship and it gets better and better and better and better. So the first battle is you and your own heart dealing with your own stuff and then saying, now God, I want to move forward with you. Maybe you got sin in your life today and God's like, yeah, we can't move forward. I've had people come ask for prayer but there's garbage in their life they haven't dealt with. And I'm like, I want to pray for God's best for you, but you're not living God's best for you. You're purposely walking outside of God's best for you. So I can't pray for that until you clean that up. It's, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, but, but ultimately that starting point, I'm talking about Christians here, that starting point, anyone can start there. You're like, I got a huge list of past stuff. God says, doesn't matter. Anyone who comes to him for mercy and when confession and in true repentance, God will forgive. And that's the story of the Bible. The worst and the worst of worst humble themselves, seek God's face, and he forgives them. And you're like, how come? That's not fair. Just think about it. Like, Russians could do this. Palestinians could do this. Um, rebel militias could do this. They could humble themselves, seek God's face, repent, and pray, and he would forgive them. Just like he'll do that for each and every one of us. Uh, let's pray. Lord, there's someone here this morning that has never made that bottom line decision with you. Turn to you for mercy. I pray that they would just feel your loving heart and just hear your, your gentle voice inviting them to believe in you, 
to trust in you and to, and to, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And Lord, forgive us for our religious piety, for the performance that we do, for the glory and praise of others. And tune our hearts to do things just for the praise of your glory. I pray that you would meet sinners here this morning, sinners that are watching online. I pray that people would discover your mercy and your grace found in Jesus Christ today. And then we'll fight on our knees as we move forward and move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ together. We pray this in his name. Amen. Just stand with the team as we, as we sing together.